You're listening to Trending with Timory. So, what's trending? Solidarity HealthShare is simple to help pay for affordable, quality health care. They enable the community to share in each other's eligible medical expenses. You choose the doctor that you want to see. Even integrative and alternative medical treatments are eligible. Solidarity HealthShare helps pay for NAPRO technology and costs associated with natural family planning. Solidarity HealthShare is dedicated to both faith and your health care. Information is available at SolidarityHealthShare.org. So we're going to be talking about Buddhism, spirituality, and yoga today with my friend, Trisha McManus. Trisha, all the way from Canada, it is great to have you here with me again today. <laughs> Thanks for having me, Timmy. Now, life has changed radically for you since we last spoke. Not only did you meet a guy, you've both been married now, and you have a baby as well. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you so much. Yes, it's happened all very fast. Now, Trisha, just fun fact. So we met about five years ago. We were at the time kind of finished undergrad. I think I just finished grad school and we were commissioned as young scholars at a major world meeting on families. It was non-denominational and you came from Canada as a Canadian representative, myself from the United States. And it was incredible because we really got to know each other in our Catholic faith. But something I didn't know about you after like knowing this incredibly Catholic individual, uh, really well-rounded, very thoughtful was that you actually had had quite a journey with Buddhism and yoga. And so I'd like to dive into some of your story and what drew you away from Catholicism to begin with and what you were searching for that you found in Buddhism. Yeah, you know, it was a search for truth. I was going through a time in my life where I was in high school and my older sister was uh, leaving the church to become an evangelical Christian. And my parents, in response to that, um, in their best efforts to help her, they realized they needed to brush up on their faith themselves, and they found themselves attending a Catholic charismatic community. So there I was on the sidelines watching this play out. My sister was leaving the church, and meanwhile, my parents were becoming madly in love with it. So imagine my conf confusion, and I came to the, to the conclusion that they must both be wrong. And if I want to know the truth, I have to go and look for it myself because these people, my sister, my parents have got it wrong. So the doors were opened and um, my search uh, stretched out into unfamiliar territory. And I, I decided that Christianity wasn't the only one offering answers. So I want to see what else is out there. Wow. So you really were searching for truth. So then how was it that you stumbled upon Buddhism and what attracted you to Buddhism? Mm -hmm. So like I said, it was the end of high school and I moved away to university, still thirsty for the truth. I didn't have my answers yet. And I ended up meeting a Catholic priest. I, I would attend church on Sundays just so I could tell my parents that I went to church <laughs> and not feel guilty for it. And, and the priest was a, you know, during the homily, he was he was preaching on paradigm shift and and basically Eastern religious philosophies, and I reached out to him and I asked him some questions. You know, told him that I was on this search for truth, and ultimately he suggested that I need to go find my truth, and to do that I need to throw out the doctrine. All very shocking, 
And then quickly after that, I ended up meeting and befriending a Buddhist who introduced me to the practices, and one thing led to another. And, so, and Trisha, I was what were your thoughts on the teaching of enlightenment? You know, this, I know we touched, touched on it a little bit earlier, but how was the idea of enlightenment problematic for you? Mm-hmm. So, just to give you a little backstory um, about my my search for understanding enlightenment, it was actually while I was on a Buddhist retreat where, similar to a Catholic retreat, a priest may be available for confession or spiritual direction. Um, in in Buddhism, the Lama, the Buddhist spiritual leader, uh, was available to us uh, for one-on-one visits. So during my last visit to the Lama, which was really a turning point for me in my journey in Buddhism, I asked, what is the point of all of this? What are all these practices for? And the response was to reach nirvana and I said what is that can you give me more information he said it's the state of nothing nothingness it did not sit with me <laughs> to transcend to nothingness granted I agreed with no suffering no desire and out of the the cycle of death and rebirth however no sense of self the state of nothingness the final goal of all these practices for literally nothing so this this like I said, this didn't sit with me well, and so many things felt contradictory about this, specifically karma, which on the surface seems very good. We just talked about that, summed up into my mind, complete selfishness. The goal is to be kind and good to either one, earn a favorable animal to reincarnate into, or two, reach state of nothingness, no connection to other people, nothing. So we're not taking anyone with us. We're not working towards a greater end, a paradise of eternity together. Suddenly, it all seemed very lonely, pointless. What was all this for? When we die, there's no paradise. There's no one with us. Nothing exists, not even the satisfaction of enjoying the freedom from suffering, because there's no longer a sense of self. And love seemed pointless. I said this earlier. What would be the point of love? It only becomes a human and earthly concept required and used for this, for to get to the state of nothingness. So love with all its pains and sacrifice suddenly didn't seem worth it. The one word that just comes to my mind is pointless. Wow. And, you know, I have to say, you know, as we live in a time where we have the nuns, right? specifically millennials who no longer identify with any religion whatsoever, I think about how they're floundering. So many of them are struggling. Like They might have effective careers. They might not. They might have great education. They might not. They might be financially well off. They might not. But the bottom line is, is that so often we hear that they're not as happy and they lack direction. They lack purpose. Yet at the same time, many of them are very much so into, you know, this self-improvement, self-betterment, Buddhism, Hinduism. And it's heartbreaking because at a certain point, like yourself, I think they hit this wall where they go, well, why should I even be good? Why should I do good if there's no purpose to it all? Mm-hmm. Exactly. So I remember you sharing with me during that last retreat. I'm not sure if it was while you were talking to the kind of Buddhist Lama, right? The the priests mm-hmm. of Buddhism, essentially, um, or if it was just during that retreat. But I remember you saying that you saw a picture, I think a book with Jesus Christ on the front of it and how it stood out to you. Walk me a little bit more through that. Sure, sure. So it was actually at the end of the retreat, my friend had invited me to stay a little longer. And um, she set me up in the library. That's where I ended up sleeping. 
And I ended up combing through the books, and two books really stood out to me. One said Jesus, and the other one Siddhartha. They were right next to each other. For those of you that don't know, Siddhartha is the the real human name of Buddha. And um, <laughs> the song started to play in my head. You know, one of these things is not like the other. This, what is this book about Jesus doing here? <laughs> so I took the book, two the both books, off the shelf, put laid them on the ground. And it just, it hit me. You know, I looked a little closer at Jesus and I said, I love you. And I don't know where that inspiration came from. Obviously the Holy Spirit, but in that moment, just dumbfounded, I kept saying, I love you. I was looking at Jesus and I love you. I have a relationship with you. So the entire time I was on retreat, all the years that I was dabbling in this, when I meditated and prayed, I was praying to someone, not something, not into the nothingness, not into the universe. Um, yeah, but to someone. I was in conversation. And when I looked closer at the book, Jesus, it hit me that I was talking to him. I looked back at Siddhartha and I was like, you're not alive. You don't care about me. You don't love me. And But Jesus, Jesus was with me. He loved me. He was with me. Wow, what a powerful moment. All that time, despite practicing Buddhism, you were ultimately praying to our Lord. And I want to come back to this because a lot of people will say, well, I can practice this. It doesn't matter because really I'm just praying to Jesus. We'll be right back here on Trending talking about yoga and more spirituality. So, Trisha, I want to talk about more about this topic. If you're just joining us, uh, Trisha's story has been sharing with us her experience in Buddhism and her reversion to Catholicism. So here's my question. You shared where you had these two images before you, one of Jesus Christ and one of Buddha. And you ultimately realized that all this time, although you're practicing Buddhism, you were praying to our Lord Jesus Christ and you loved him. So this became, became the unraveling of yoga and Buddhism for you, what ultimately brought you back to Catholicism? Yeah, you know, so that was the pivotal moment on that retreat with the Lama telling me that what Nirvana was, what enlightenment was, that it was the state of nothingness. And so I was left at this crossroads like, wow, do I can keep continuing on to this path or do I shamefully with my tails between the legs go back to to the catholic church so Mm -hmm. you'd think that would have been the moment with the book that that just flipped things around but it actually took a couple more years after that and there were a series of if you will god moments and a whole team of people who prayed for me behind the scenes i didn't know that they were praying for me until after my full conversion but um ultimately the, the the real the real i guess um the thing that really sealed the deal for me was the sacrament of confession. So this happened because uh, my best friend randomly asked me to go and, and I dragged my feet and, and went. And um, when it, when I did, after I had gone, I suddenly my eyes were opened. I could see very clearly in it and uh, I could see very clearly what was right and what was wrong. And then secondly, because all my questions that thrusted me into the journey for seeking the truth in the first place, all those existential queries were actually answered through scripture and the catechism of the Catholic Church. So questions like, how did we get here? What are we here for? Why is there evil in the world? What happened when you die? Was answered um, um, ultimately that the beauty... Um, the truth that we are created for a purpose, we are designed to be attached and not detached, to love one another by the example of a father who loves us and who gave us the gift of free will, 
which can lead to our demise or sanctification and our ultimate end is to be in heaven and eternal happiness with our father and our goal is to bring everyone with us you know it was just so it crossed over with buddhism but it fell short um catholicism had that fullness it had the absolute truth i was looking for and it and you know what it was common sense once i really combed into this really dove into this it made sense of everything i wondered about and i was finally at peace that restlessness that i had all those years in searching for the truth was gone and it wasn't just deep breathing that led me there <laughs> not just deep breathing and <laughs> <in> yoga <laughs> well you know what's so profound about this and this is my challenge if you're listening right now maybe you know you say you know what's the big deal you know buddhism has some great elements hinduism has great elements um mormonism can be fantastic um Islam and you pick, pick whatever it is. Maybe there's something that you kind of just don't get what's the big deal. And I'll never forget a close friend of mine years ago said like, does it really matter if we're all ultimately just praying to the same God? Like you and I know all these other deities don't exist. And if someone's praying, they really are praying to God. And I said, I get what you're saying, but here's the thing. Any good that we see in another religion is ultimately fulfilled in Christianity. The problem is, is that all other religions fall short. And here's the thing. If you listen to Trisha's story, she is saying how ultimately every single one of these questions she had, the dots were connected into Catholicism in the final end and the purpose that is only found in the Catholic Church. And so my challenge to you is when you're in these conversations, talking to friends, challenge them what are the goods that they see in their religion and help them to understand and first by helping to understand yourself well how does christianity fulfill this ultimately now trisha this brings me to another question and this is going to be one that i know is going to rub a lot of people wrong but we've got to talk about it through your multiple years in the buddhist community you became very very involved many retreats interacting with very high level um kind of a religious uh, priests within buddhism and you came to the point where you were exposed to a number of catholic priests both during and with your reversion back to catholicism who have been incredibly susceptible and involved to like the zen movement and buddhism as well can you share a little bit more about this and why you think catholic priests are so susceptible right so to just give you some backstory like i said earlier um, when I started my journey into Buddhism, I was still going to the Catholic Church on Sundays just so I could tell my parents I was going. And uh, one of the Sundays, the priest was giving a homily that the gist was basically alluding to the practices that are popular in Eastern religions. And I was looking around the church like, is anyone else hearing this? This is very strange. Their eyes were glossed over. And I just I knew I had to talk to this priest after the mass. So I approached him and ultimately he was telling me to throw the doctrine out, I'm a Zen priest, and this is this is my truth. So he was subscribing to moral relativism, which I didn't realize was so contradictory to, to the teachings that he was even preaching from the pulpit, you know, but he told me I had to go find my own truth and that I should throw out the doctrine. He was introducing me to another lady in the church that would also attend mass, and she also believed that the Catholic Church had secrets 
and the link between held secrets about the link between Buddhism and Catholicism. So this is how far the rabbit hole goes, Timmy. It's it's actually quite disturbing. There's a book that has been published with like on the cover is Saint John Paul II holding his holding um, a cross with two 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 arm lengths. I don't know how to what it's called or how to describe it, but they were linking that to the chakras in Buddhism. Your from your head, your throat, your chest, your your sacrum. And and even just like the the symbol the other symbols with the snake and and how that links to the virtues of the virtues linked to the the foundations of Buddhism and the foundations of Christianity and and so it was all very shocking. So um so then I looked a little deeper into what this word Zen was. So the word Zen is actually shortened from the term Mushin, no shin, no mind. So no mindness is actually a state where you are free from your thoughts and emotions an attachment to our thoughts and emotions that actually just tie us down and uh, keep us, they believe, keep us from being open to everything else. So on the surface, that sounds quite good kind of like throughout this entire program, I keep saying on the surface, it sounds quite good and attractive, but, and especially sounds good and attractive in today's world. So I really believe our world is searching for stillness. I think even the priests are looking for that stillness. If they've gotten tired or weary of, of, of being alone, being in isolation, um, having mm-hmm. to practice, um, without community, this can happen. So looking for that stillness and peace, we've, um, you know, we found ourselves busier and busier over the years. Our senses are overloaded, our electronic devices, social media. And I think people are desiring the opposite. So when you hear about the benefits of mindfulness and meditation, yoga, as a means to to attaining that peace, you know, I, I could see that being used as a, as a tool, just the way people look at yoga as a tool. But um, uh, that wholeness, it's they're missing that there's actually way more behind that. It's so easy to get caught up and confused. And, and quite frankly, it really is confusion. So I don't know how that priest that I mentioned found himself following his end path. Um, but I could see how he was striving for that unification of mind and body. But what he was doing was actually, unfortunately, living a dual life. He's a priest and he's Zen. This will eventually contradict it contradict itself but to be honest this is what can happen when you don't follow beliefs all the way down to its core what is this trying to sell you and is that truth or is that a lie that's a trisha mcmanus and i did not mention but she's also a marriage and family therapist and so she has i think very profound insights into this overall kind of search that the human person experiences and that even our priests are experiencing you know this isolation that you talked about but also when you're defining what zen is this kind of no mindedness and being free from thought and emotions it was kind of making me think about how if maybe you're someone who's just tired of your conscience and you don't want to deal with kind of this culpability that we have that's ingrained in ourselves, Zen kind of sounds nice because, you know, it, it does away with all responsibility. It does away with, you know, the need to love other people because it kind of just says, you know, live and let live. 
And again, if you don't, you said this so eloquently, if you don't follow a teaching all the way to its end, in other words, if we don't understand the why behind what our Catholic Church is actually teaching, we're going to be susceptible to other things that are contrary or misdefine what the Catholic Church actually teaches. So here's... Here's a question I have for you. With all of this experience that you went through, a few years of Buddhism, two years of kind of unraveling that chain that it had on you, do you have to go through a detox after leaving Buddhism? You know, quite honestly, uh, yes and no. (laughs) Our Lord really swept me off my feet, so I didn't have a desire to look back. But it was more the memories of certain practices and experiences that were attractive that I need to separate from. So I guess if there was a detox, it would have consisted of stepping back from yoga. Okay, and on that note, we will be right back with Trisha McManus talking about what's the problem with yoga? Why do we object to this as Catholics? Because to be honest, I really didn't get it. And it's okay if you don't, because I really think that a lot of people don't explain this right very well. We'll be right back here on Trending with Timory. So, what's trending? Bridging your Catholic faith with your everyday life. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Okay, it's what you've probably been waiting for, and that is our conversation having to do specifically with yoga. What's the big deal? If you've been listening to us, my dear friend has joined me, Trish McManus, to talk about her journey from Buddhism and back to Catholicism. And I want to dive into your experience with yoga, because I was just talking to yet another friend the other day who said, you know what? I get that yoga is on examination of conscience. My dad got really upset when he heard that I had done it years ago. I don't anymore, but honestly, I just don't get it. And Trish, I really do understand this because I was even under the impression for a period of time, like, look, I love our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, I'm someone who prays daily, goes to daily mass. Like, I'm not susceptible. It's okay. If I just need to get that stretch or maybe that sweat, whatever it was, I had started to think that way a while back. And of course, there's that creepy yoga class that you might go to occasionally that is obviously just too far. But really, the whole idea of yoga is really actually quite problematic. So can you explain kind of where did yoga play in with your story and what kind of made you realize that this isn't just exercise? What's going on here? Right. So yoga is actually practiced in Buddhism, Hinduism, and Jainism. But yoga plays into Buddhism because it's another form of meditation and prayer, an active meditation, if you will. So the word yoga means union. In Buddhism and yoga, this would be the union of body and mind to end a dualistic mindset, to become one with yourself and the universe. The active experience through these poses is to promote and symbolize a means to the unity and connection with the universe through the moves and meditation. So not just the moves, but also the, the, the chants. That makes sense. Now, I know a lot of people, in fact, we had a listener write in just a couple weeks ago. By the way, she's 16 and I loved it because she called herself like the fabulous listener or something like that. I thought it was awesome. But she was talking about how she herself, you know, used to do yoga and talk about wisdom, 16 years old and already recognizing that there is something problematic. And she wanted specifically this show to talk about like, why is it such an issue? And here's what I sent to my friend the other day. I said, listen, I get it. I didn't understand either why if we were people of faith and 
and we weren't, you know, really trying to participate in the spirituality of yoga, what's the big deal? But as you just put it, it's so clear. It is yoga is literally a meditation prayer, ultimately a sense of worship service of a different religion. And so sure, it may be united physically with exercise, but why would we go to another religion's worship service when that's what it is and we're Catholic? Mm-hmm. You know, I, yeah, exactly. And and I think the way it's marketed too, right? It's stepping outside of a a church, an ashram, uh, a temple, and, and taking a part of what is essentially um, their religion and, and just taking a piece of it. But it has its roots, it has its foundations, and we're, we're dabbling in a spiritual realm that, that, is, uh, that can actually be quite dangerous. Now, can you talk a little bit, Trisha, about how even the poses in yoga are actually spiritual acts? You know, this is tied to multiple religions or spiritualities, whatever you want to call them, and how it actually connects, especially to Hindu gods and various demons even, which I think open up a whole nother door for this conversation to see why yoga is actually problematic. Mm-hmm. So on a spiritual level, you're inevitably opening yourself up to a spiritual vulnerability, Okay, that spiritual vulnerability. We're very careful as Catholics. Our faith is designed in such a way that we are careful with the words that we use, how we use them. We're so careful and precise. We have mental prayer and vocal prayer. And often, unknowingly, Catholics go into the practice of yoga not realizing its true nature, how it's designed for prayer. So in my mind, I'd be very careful not to play around with the spiritual practices Um uh, with the prayer to an entity that is not God, going into it not knowing can seem harmless, just as an as innocent and effective means of exercise and relaxation. But you're exposing yourself, your body, your your mind, your senses to so much more. The the origins of yoga is designed to be worship, a type of surrender to a divine, and and it varies across uh, across religions. But if I'm being honest, at this point in my life, after what I've been through. The only one I'm going to surrender to is Jesus, and I'd be very careful not to expose myself to certain practices that would compromise that in any way. Now, this touches on a whole new dimension, Trisha, of spiritual warfare, that we are so easy kind of to be tricked in a sense by, you know, just this little bit of a temptation to kind of start to make this really small bad habit. And then it turns into a beast of a vice before we know Mm. it. Or Mm -hmm. to just expose ourselves a little bit to this bad behavior or this person or this thing. And it gets out of hand and we forget that we are literally in the midst of spiritual warfare. Our Lord Jesus Christ has been fighting for our souls and Mm -hmm. at our baptism, the devil, the accuser, tries to accuse us and fight for us from our Lord. But if we truly believe in our Lord Jesus Christ, we trust that he will protect us. And we shouldn't do anything that would draw us away from that beautiful, pure, perfect relationship with our Lord. Mm-hmm, exactly. And, you know, I, I'm realizing like there are groups like Christian yoga and there's like even just this week I was looking up like what Christian groups are doing yoga. And there's all these different uh, different 
titles of it, but they still incorporate the word yoga. So it's great that's out there, but why call it yoga? Call it Christian workouts that are heavy on the stretching. You know, (laughs) (laughs) it's a marketing thing. I I honestly think we need to be more careful because it's a perversion of a practice that roots itself in in something good, but its foundations are really strayed from the truth. So uh, no, I I don't think that... um, this practice can be without negatively influencing us to some degree, especially on a spiritual level. I want to touch on even the Sanskrit chants in a second here, but I do want to comment on what you just said, uh, because I come from, you come from an entertainment background. I come from a fitness dance background. I've been exposed to yoga, stretching, Pilates, and just be clear, Pilates is not yoga. I have to say it all the time because I'm a Pilates trainer and it has nothing to do one with the other. Every time someone's like, oh yeah, you know, Tim Bree's a yoga teacher. I'm like, I'm not a yoga teacher, <laughs> but the point that I want to make, Trisha, is the fact that, you know, stretching is something that is so good for our bodies. In fact, I know people who have major injuries and major body and health issues because they don't stretch. And unfortunately, they think that their only option is specifically yoga, but there are all kinds of places that do work with stretching. You can stretch on your own. You can do stretch classes. I mean, this is a whole thing. And, you know, just because a certain religion has adopted specific positions to deities doesn't mean that if you're completely separated from it, that you can't stretch anymore. So I think that's important to acknowledge that stretching is important, but you should not be associating names, chants, or anything with you know, another religion, which is done clearly in yoga and these other religions. So walk us through understanding the Sanskrit chants and specifically why kind of they are under the whole conversation having to do with yoga. And a lot of the time people don't even realize what they're hearing in a yoga class. Yeah. I mean, the answer is right there, right? A chant. It's a, it's a prayer. It's, it's a, it's a repetition. It's, it's used to, uh, pair that mind-body connection. So you're moving with your body, but then you're thinking of words, you're throwing words out there to then transcend yourself. So, I mean, look at the word, the, the one you hear most often when you do yoga and when you think of meditation, what's the first word you think of? Shadaraka. Okay. Not the one I was looking for, but close enough. <laughs> Namaste. Namaste. Um, 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 oh, yes. Okay. Yes. So, so that is actually <laughs> the third one. Third time's yes, a charm. The third, one. <laughs> third time's a charm. Uh, it's, it's this affirmation of, of the divine. So like they, they would say like, it's like their version of an amen, you know, mm. but amen to whom, you know, we have to be careful with that sort of thing. And then on, you know, to kind of, go deeper. So the chants vary depending on what type of yoga you're practicing and what type of yoga or what type of uh, religion that yoga stem from. So if we're looking at Hinduism, there's a lot of worship to all different deities. So mm. we're saying these things, yeah, they sound good. They kind of fit with the, the whole yoga experience, but you could be actually saying something that could be uh, quite opposite of what you believe and and uh, inviting other spiritualities into your into your realm like why why do that so um one i would say is uh om namah shivaya 
Namah Shivaya, Namah Shiva. So you may be asked to say this in yoga, but do you know what you're saying? You're saying, I bow to Lord Shiva, the peace one who is the embodiment of all that is caused by the universe. So, you know, innocent, but do you really, like, you would have to do a lot more research into to what you're saying. And, and you may discover that you're doing something that's quite con- contradictory to what you believe. And Trisha, I have to say, I did not know. And I remember when you and I went and took that yoga class, I had no mm-hmm. idea. This is before I understood what was going on. And I remember you commenting, like, didn't you hear those words? I'm like, what words? I heard them, you know, <laughs> saying stuff like downward dog and other yes. things like that. Yes. And you're like, no, they're no. using chants that you didn't yes. even realize were being said. Yes. And here's what it means. And I remember I'm like, my eyes are bulging as we're driving to the beach talking about this. Like, I had no idea. And maybe yes. that's you. Maybe you never thought that this was the crossover between spirituality, Buddhism, Hinduism, and yoga. I hope this has been just a little glimpse of a better understanding this specific issue and why it's contrary to Catholicism. It's not condemning. So be sure to check out Trisha Villarante McManus at CamCam Books and you'll find links on the website. You can listen to more of Trending with Timory via the Relevant Radio app or at relevantradio.com slash trending.